Well, again, I'm back, uh, back in the saddle again. Um, I'm not going to sing it. Um, sorry, my, my, my child is in the back. I think they're getting ready to go outside and he is not happy about something. So I'm uh, a little distracted here. Oh yeah. Uh, thanks for everyone who came out on, on these past two Wednesdays. It was so good just to see people again, um, and friends and people from the church. And, uh, we, you know, did our best to, you know, we were outside somewhat social distance and, uh, had a good time. It really did. I, I really had a fun time seeing everybody. And so thank you. If you weren't able to make it again, that's okay. There's no, I want you to know there's no judgment here. Um, and Angel and I, we've talked about this a lot. If, if we hadn't already had COVID-19, uh, we, we probably wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. And so don't, don't feel like, oh man, I'm not comfortable doing that. And he hates me. That's not, that's not true. So don't, don't feel that way um, at all. Again, I do want to say thanks to Paul and Josh for preaching these last two weeks for me for us. Uh, but it was a big, um, help. It actually was my first two Sundays off from preaching in a row that I've had since, well, since we started the church for sure. Um, so that was, uh, it really was, was very helpful and just relaxing, um, and restful for me. And, uh, so thankful for that. Um, uh, we are in week seven now of the Psalms. We have four more weeks of the Psalms. Uh, after today, I think, um, I believe there's four more weeks after the Psalms. Then we're going to do just a couple weeks in first Peter or sorry, second Peter. Uh, we did first Peter just last year. And, and so we're going to kind of finish up just briefly with second Peter or some really awesome truths in second Peter. And that's a short book. I'm uh, looking forward to, to jumping into that with you. And then after that in the fall, we're hopefully going to be diving into Romans. Um, that's still, uh, the plan. I don't know if that's something that we want to wait till we actually really are meeting in person and we got that all figured out, but I'm hoping by then we for sure, for sure will. Um, this, this Psalm, ironically, it was kind of one of my favorite Psalms to just read and meditate on. But this week, this Psalm just, just came to life for me in a way that it never has before. And just, again, it's just a, a privilege that I have to just be able to study these things throughout the week and open commentaries and read different things and, and just be able to really jump into this Psalm. It's just been, it's been awesome. And so if you, you know, and I just prayed it uh, just a few minutes ago and I, I say it a lot in, in my, my prayer, this phrase of ascribe to the Lord, the glory, do your name. And, and I say that a lot. And, and so that was actually the, the title of the passage of the sermon that I wanted to that's what I had. I had on my PowerPoint all there, um, a song, or sorry, uh, ascribe to the Lord, the glory to his name. And then as I got into this, I had to change that title because while that is a, a, a really big portion of the Psalm of, of, of giving God his worth and, and worshiping him and singing him, what I realized when I did a little bit more digging is that maybe a more appropriate title for this Psalm would be a song for all nations. And, and so it was just kind of cool and, and uh, revelatory. Revelat okay revelatory for me, uh, that, uh, this is what the Psalm is about. Um, and so before we get, jump into the Psalm again, context is King. I don't know how many times I've said that, um, to you all, but, but context is so vitally important to be able to understand, uh, everything. I remember when I was uh, teaching junior high Bible back in, in Illinois, uh, I said that all the time, context is King, context is King. And so it was, it was like a bonus question on a test. And about half the class said, context is key, K-E-Y. And it was like, no, what? I mean, am I not, maybe I'm not enunciating the, the G, the king. Uh, so it's K-I-N-G, context. We got to be able to study the context. So before we jump into Psalm 96, this, really the context here is what made this passage jump off the page to me. 
So if you go back to First Chronicles, uh, it's not a very popular book uh, in the sense of, you know, I don't, I've, we've never really preached through that. Um, there's a lot of names in the first like five, six chapters are just names of people. And, and so it's hard. It's a hard one to just sit and read through. Um, but in First Chronicles chapter 13, the story that's happening there, I'm not going to read it, but King David uh, wants to get the Ark of the Covenant back, right? So think Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ark of the Covenant is gone. And, and, and David's like, we got to go get that. We're going to bring it back. We're going to put it in a, in this tent that we've put. They kind of made the tabernacle again. We said, we're going to put that uh, Ark of the Covenant back in, in the tabernacle in Jerusalem with our people where it, it belongs. Well, he doesn't go and read the book of Leviticus. And they go and they take the Ark of the Covenant and they put it on a cart. And this guy named uh, Uzzah, Yuza, Uzzizi, uh, I don't know. Um, well, what he was thinking, but the, but the, an ox stumbles and he goes to put his hand onto the Ark of the Covenant, um, and right. And think, think, you know, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know if his, his face melted off, but either way, he puts his hand on the Ark of the Covenant to stabilize it and, and God kills him, strikes him down. And David's like, Ooh, I think maybe we're doing something wrong here. Let's go put it in that guy's tent. So it's kind of funny. Imagine being that family like, oh, yeah, well, we'll yeah, we'll just leave this in our tent for a while while we're hanging out. Uh, but what's ironic is that it says that God blessed that family uh, the whole time while the ark was in their presence, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, so anyways, skipping forward to First Chronicles 15, I'm just going to read 1 through 3 and 11 through 16. Uh, it says this. Because now they're, so they're going to try again here, all right? They're, they're going to they're do it now the second time. They're trying to bring this back. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, that's Jerusalem, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord uh, to place to the place that he had prepared for it. Uh, verse 11, then David summoned Zadok and Abathar the priests and Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemiah, Eliel, and, and Aminadab, the Levites. And he said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families and you and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. But they put it on a, on a cart. That shouldn't have happened. It should have been on poles. These Levites should have been carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And, it, and it's, I mean, black and white. God spells out, this is how you do this. And he's like, ah, we'll figure it out. People died. He's like, all right, we're going to get it right this time. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the Ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. And David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make joyful sound with the musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. And so when you keep reading, it goes into the description of, of which Levite and which priest was going to be in charge of this. And this priest is going to be in charge of, of playing the trumpets. And this one's going to be in charge of singing. It says this, this one's in charge of, of singing. Uh, because he was skilled at it. It's like, well, I, that's a good description. I'm glad they didn't pick someone who's, you know, poor at singing to be in charge of it. But that's what's going on. Okay, but when you when you get then to, to, to the next chapter, to chapter 16 in First Chronicles, this psalm, Psalm 96, is right there. And this is the psalm that they sing to triumphantly bring the Ark of the Covenant back to its proper place. 
but some edits have been made in Psalm 96. And I believe, uh, imagine this, the Holy Spirit was at work. And so when you read it in, in First Chronicles, there's a couple extra little paragraphs about remember what God did for Israel. Remember when God made his covenant with Abraham. Remember, remember, remember. But when people are now reading this in the Psalms, it wasn't just meant for ethnic Israelites. As a matter of fact, in, in, the, in 96, there's no mention of Israel whatsoever, whereas the Psalm that David writes, um, which this is, he wrote this one as well in, in 96, but uh, he made some changes. And so when you get there, though, in, in Chronicles, it's about Israel. And what 96 is saying, it's more than just Israel. It's always been more than just Israel. It's about all nations and all people. And so that's why I've titled this a song for all nations. Because when, when we read this, we don't necessarily remember. We weren't there. I'm not an Israelite. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, of Jewish descent. I'm a Gentile. I'm an outsider. I'm a foreigner. And so we get to read Psalm 96, though, through this lens of all nations and all people. So there are five major themes in this that I want to walk through. Uh, five major themes in this psalm that make us see God for who he really is. That he is seated on his throne, that he's exalted. He is worthy of honor and worship and praise. And when we see him, when we get God in the proper place in our minds and our hearts, it just makes us love the Father that much more. So let's dig into this. The first thing that I want to point out is just that it says, sing to the Lord three times. So this is how the psalm starts out. Sing to the Lord a new song. Oh, one more thing too. If you're just new to the Bible, and I know I've mentioned this before, but maybe you're just checking this out and you haven't heard me say this, but anytime you're reading the Bible and, and, and Lord is in all caps, that's um, just a way to, to that was his, his uh, covenant name of Yahweh which we actually don't know how it's spelt. We don't even know how it's pronounced. And so when they translate it, they just put in Lord. That's God's covenant name. Sing to the Lord, all caps. Sing to Yahweh. Sing to the creator God. A new song. When I was a little kid, my mom actually taught um, uh, like Sunday school kids, children's church. And we'd always sing this this song, I sing a new song, and it was like a repeat. I sing a new song, wear a new name. All right, I'm not gonna sing the whole thing. Um, but every time I read this passage, uh, sing a new song that that just comes flooding flooding back, and he says that sing to the Lord a new song. Oh, oh, you didn't catch that? Let me say it again. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Oh, oh, you didn't get that that time either. Okay, sing to the Lord and praise his name, right? This is something I've mentioned this before within Hebrew poetry and literature that, that when you repeat something, it adds emphasis. But he doesn't just say this. There's actually three things that he says three different times. He's adding a lot of emphasis here. He says, sing, sing, sing to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. Praise, proclaim, declare. All, like, this is all, just boom, boom, boom. And he's adding all this emphasis, Right, that you couldn't um, add a, a, a italics. You know, like when you read a, a book, or some authors will uh, italicize something, and then it says, you know, at the end in parentheses, uh, authors uh, emphasis added. Right, they, they they didn't do that in Hebrew poetry. Uh, it would kind of take away from the emphasis. They just repeated it and just beat it into the readers and the singer's head. Right, this is this is being sung. So that's the first thing that we sing to the Lord. Declare Him. To all people is the second one. All people. 
all nations, all, all ethne, all groups, all nations declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples for the Lord. Uh, sorry, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. And then, he, and then we, he's going to go back and he's talking about, he's going to talk about the gods, right? And just, they're just puny gods. They're false gods. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods, the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Declare his glory among the nations. Nations in, in scripture means Gentiles. And so in the New Testament, Old Testament, we see Gentile or nation. It's the same thing. That's, that's me. I was an outsider. I once was not a people, but now because of God and his work through his son, Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness of sins, I now am a people. Why do we need to declare that to the nations? Because they're worshiping false gods. And we want to tell those people, we want to tell everybody. We want to tell everybody about this living, true God. I think of the Good Samaritan. Uh, this is a story in the New Testament that Jesus tells. It's a, it's a parable that he shares with, with the listeners about who is my neighbor. He's trying to answer the question. Someone says, well, who's my neighbor? And he says, well, let me tell you about this story. And so these two individuals, a Levite and a priest, these religious people, they see someone beaten up on the side of the road and they say, I've got other things to do. I've got more important things to do. If I touch this person and become a ritualistically unclean and I can't go worship in the temple or whatever is going on in their mind, they do not help this person. And then a Samaritan, uh, an individual that the Jewish community, the Israelite community would say is, is ethnically unclean, that they would say, oh, but the Samaritan goes and helps this individual. I tell this story because the Samaritan had no idea who that person was. They were beat up and they were naked. There's no, there wasn't even a, a clothing descriptor of who this was. They could have been they could have been a king. They could have been a professional athlete. I don't know if they had those. I guess they did. Uh, yeah, they had, you know, circuses, you know, Ben-Hur. Could have been Ben-Hur. We don't know. It could, it could have been a beggar sitting in the corner of the road asking for money who got robbed and beat up. And the Samaritan says, I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. I'm going to help you. That's how we declare the glory of God among all people. And then it has this phrase, ascribe the glory. Starting in verse seven, ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, right? All, again, just here it is again, all nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe, there it is, three different ascribes. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe to the Lord, 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 glory, 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 glory. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. That phrase, and again, it's a phrase I use all the time, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. How do we even do that? How do we begin to ascribe to the creator God glory that he is worthy of? We sing this old hymn, um, the love of God is greater far uh, from Frederick Martin uh, Liam. Layman, sorry. And in his third stanza, he, he says this, and I, I love, just, just listen to the, the poetry and the poetic image, right, that, that he paints for us as we sing this hymn, and we, and we sing this at Hope all the time. Could we, with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, and every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry 
nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. How can we begin? And, and what I love about this, what, what, what this author of this, of this poem, of this hymn is saying here is that this is just about the love of God. That's just, that's just one little thing. God is so big. How can we ascribe to him? We worship him. We glorify him. We reflect back to him the glory. Do his name. We ascribe it to him. We proclaim it. We magnify him. Right. And I've said this before, but when we magnify something, we don't make that thing bigger. Right. When I was a little kid, you know, you take a magnifying glass and you just murder ants. Why, why is that always a thing? Right. With the and um, but when you when you take a magnifying glass and you, and you look at an ant, the ant doesn't get bigger under the magnifying glass. Right. It, it just magnifies it. So when we when we do that, God doesn't get any bigger. We just start to see the little details of who he really is. And that's what this psalm does. Sorry. Magnify him, ascribe to him the glory due his name. But then, and in the same sentence, the next step, where does he go? Where does the author, where does King David go? Tremble in his presence. He says, worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, say among all people, again, just proclaiming to them, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved, and he will judge the people with equity. That's a great word. It simply means freedom from bias or favoritism. That God is going to judge all people without bias or favoritism. And the only thing that matters on that day is God's going to look at us, and he's going to say, did you worship my son? Do you believe in him? And we're going to be standing before you, a holy God. Again, when we talk about that emphasis being added in repetition, the only name that is given to God that's repeated three times is holy, holy, holy. That there are these creatures, these cherubim, these monsters, if you will, that, that fly and hover above the throne of God and they call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the other one goes, oh, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. His name is holy. Why is it? That the cherubim, these, these creatures, don't say merciful, merciful, merciful is our God. Because God can withhold mercy. He cannot withhold his holiness. Everything he does is holy. He's a holy love. It's a holy justice. It's a holy spirit. A.W. Tozer, ironically, in his book, The Attributes of God, um, listen to the podcast coming out in a couple of weeks. You'll, you'll hear my my take on that. I don't think that holiness is an attribute of God. I think it is God. Um, anyways, listen to the podcast. You'll, you'll hear my, my pet peeve on that one. He says this in his book, The Attributes of God, there isn't any use for anyone to try to explain holiness, right? So he's like, yeah, good job, Brian. You just wasted your breath. The greatest speakers on this subject can play their oratorical harps, but it sounds tinny and unreal. And when they are through, you've listened to music, but you haven't seen God. <laughs> Rudolf Otto, in his book of the idea of the holy, says he calls this idea of the holiness of God in Latin, the mysterium tremendum. 
or awful mystery. It's a terrible mystery. It may become the hushed, trembling, and speechless humility of the creature in the presence of whom or what? In the presence of that which is a mystery inexpressible and above all creatures. He is holy, holy, holy. He is exalted and lifted up, and he is seated on his throne. He's not pacing about. He's not wondering what's going to happen to the world with COVID-19. He's not, gonna, he's not worried uh, about what's going to happen next, whether we acknowledge it or not. He is seated on his throne, and he is in control, so much so that even creation worships him. Like even inanimate objects sing to him just by their presence and their being. This is what we call the cosmological argument. This is a proof that God exists based on just the creation around us. He says this in verse 11 in Psalm 96, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes and he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will make everything wrong, untrue, and he will do it in a just way, in a holy justice. And it says, and he will judge the people in his faithfulness. It's his faithfulness that matters. I put my trust in Christ, but it's up to him to save my soul. Right? We have another hymn that we sing, right? Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. It's only through him. On Tuesday, I, I went up to uh, St. Cloud. Uh, we have some friends up there at a church, uh, uh, Calvary Community Church up in St. Cloud, um, uh, Matt, Matthew Molesky. Great guy. He's a good friend of Steve's. Um, I only get to see him once or twice a year, so it's kind of fun seeing him um, at, a, at an ordination council. It was kind of, you know, I was, you know, pretty young. Uh, Davis actually came up with me. It was kind of weird that we were, like, um, asking theological questions for an ordination council when uh, we've never been ordained. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is what it is. But we had a good time. And this guy, though, um, his name was Michael. He was actually a, a he's a chaplain at a uh, at an AV hospital, AV hospital, a VA hospital. That's two very different things. I don't know if there is an AV hospital. There probably should be. Anyways, a VA hospital, and uh, and he deals with trauma. He deals with uh, and he and he served a few tours um, in Afghanistan, and so he he knows right. And he I mean, he's a, he's a new believer and, and wanted to get ordained and wants to work and wants to always be a chaplain uh, in these hospitals. And he just mentioned this phrase. I'd never heard of it before. And it was called a moral injury that a lot of these soldiers come back with moral injuries. And I was like, wow, I've never heard that, that phrase before. And this is what a, a moral injury is. This is just the definition. I just Googled it. And this is the first thing that pops up. Now, moral injury refers to an individual's moral conscious and values um, resulting from an act of perceived moral transgression which produces profound emotional guilt and shame, and in some cases also a sense of betrayal, anger, and profound moral disorientation. How, how is that possible? How is it possible that a human being who doesn't believe in a God can suffer from moral injury? Because God has written his law on their hearts. 
that we have been made to do right and to not do wrong. And when we go against that conscience, it destroys people. And what Michael's job now is to safely navigate and try to get them to see Jesus, to try to get them to see this God who all creation, even someone who suffered from moral injury can say, there is a God. What's his name? So this opens up this idea of these different um, traditional proofs. Actually, tomorrow, if you uh, look up Sunday Rewind, and I don't say this for publicity. I don't, I don't do that. I do this because my church, I care for you. And this is a way that, that we can kind of reinvent, you know, that traditional Sunday school. Um, and that's why it's called Sunday Rewind. Um, it's available. But this, this what we're talking about, traditional proofs of the existence of God. And so there's the cosmological argument of how, how big the universe is and the order that we see. Uh, the ontological arguments of just reason and logic and, and being and essence of God. The teleological argument, this irreducible complexity. It's the opposite of the cosmological that it focuses in on these little cells, the mitochondria and the powerhouse of the cell. I think that's what it's called. Zach, help me out here. But then there's also this moral argument, right? That there's something in me that just screams. But that's, that's Psalm 96. Ascribe to God the glory due his name for all nations and all people, and even so much so that creation yells out. <laughs> Fool me once. <laughs> Scoot over. Getting a little animated this morning. That's Psalm 96. And the thing is, we could stop here and guess, man, that'd be a good pep talk. Yeah, cool. That's good, man. We should, we should worship God. Okay, why? Okay, we've gotten to some of that. But when we look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. So I can take Colossians chapter 2, and I can say, okay, Whatever the Old Testament says about Yahweh, about the Lord, about God, the creator, it is also true about Jesus. Prove it. Let's do it. All right. I don't want to spend a lot of time doing this, but because we could have spent a lot of time. Oh, wait, the whole Bible. So I just want to take those five points again and say, is that true of Jesus? Is there actually a text that we can say these things are all true of Jesus as well? That we worship him, that we're called to worship Jesus as God. In John 20, 26 through 28, um, we have the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas. And what happens is Jesus is raised from the dead. He goes to his disciples, but Thomas isn't there. Thomas is doing something else. I don't know what he's doing. We don't, we're not really told. But a week goes by. So can you imagine being Thomas and having all your best buds being like, Jesus, he was here and he's like, no, you got, okay, listen, guys, it's getting a little old, right? He didn't raise from the dead. Uh, I'd have to see it to believe it. I didn't see it. Where is he? Uh, not, I, I, you guys are nuts and stop, just stop teasing me on this, right? A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas then said to him, my Lord and my God. 
that you aren't just my master. You aren't just my teacher. You are God. This is a Jewish man who knows Yahweh, who has multiple books of the Bible memorized, the Old Testament. He says, this is you. We worship him as God. We are to proclaim him among all nations. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Language that was only reserved for the Israelites is now of all people, of all Gentiles who believe in Jesus. Why? So that we may declare, that we may proclaim, that we may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful, marvelous light. And again, we do that with equity, without bias or favoritism. We can look at then worthy of glory in a, in a passage that's not too unfamiliar with us at Lower Town is Revelation chapter 5, 9 through 10. And it says, and they sang a new song. Oh, look at that. They sang a new song. I sing a new. It's this, guess what? Psalm 96, all of the Old Testament just screams Jesus. It's like every author says, how have you missed this? Like, a, hello, McFly, <laughs> right? Hello, is anybody in there? It's all about Jesus. It screams him. And we sing a new song and he says, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. There it is again. It's for all people. It's a song for all people. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests and serve our God. I just read, just read first Peter chapter two. It's the same story. They will serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The last two, which is kind of fun, you can even do in one, 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 one little story from the New Testament, Mark chapter 4. We can look at how we tremble in the holiness of Jesus. Right? Normally we don't think of Jesus as this holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. There are moments in Jesus' life where people lose their minds. This is one of them. And then we also see that creation worships him in Mark chapter 4, 39 through 41. Again, a little bit of context that I'm not going to read here. Jesus and the disciples go out in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And this massive storm erupts. But Jesus is exhausted. Right? He is just passed out in the back of the boat on a cushion. It says he's gone. He's just he's done. Right. The waves rock him to sleep. Meanwhile, the disciples are all terrified and they wake Jesus up. And their expression to him is, Do, don't you care that we're about to die? Don't you care that we're going to die? Right? And Jesus wakes up a little groggy. He's obviously really tired. And he gets mad. Right? It's his, he says this. He got up and he rebuked. Like That's like, a, like an angry thing. He rebuked not the disciples. He rebukes the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And just like Psalm 96, as creation worships their creator, the waves and the wind go, I remember that voice. I remember that voice who told me where to go and when to stop, when to rise, when to blow. I remember him. We should listen. And it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
again, why are you so afraid of the storm? Okay, so, so here's what happens. They were afraid of losing their life from the storm. Jesus calms the storm. And then it says they were terrified. Terrified of what? Of whom? Of Jesus. And they asked each other, who is this? And this isn't like a, who, who is this guy? I, I love how the King James puts it. What manner of man is this? I, we don't even have a, I don't even have a category for this. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Sigmund Freud, uh, a big proponent of his was that, that humanity created and invented God, right? Because humanity can't control the storm. They can't control tornadoes or cancer or fill in the blank. And so we created some God to fix us when we're in a time of need. The thing is, I would agree that that's how a lot of religions are. The thing is with Christian religion, with Christianity, is if I were ever going to invent a God, I wouldn't make him holy. Because what I see here is that my God, yep, he can control the storms, but guess what? When I come face to face with that God, I'm more terrified than I was of the storm. And we see that in this passage. So then finishing with Colossians chapter two, it says, when you were dead in your sins, dead, couldn't breathe, couldn't keep yourself above water. You're dead laying on the bottom of the ocean floor. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, right? Depending on yourself, trying to eke my way through life, <laughs> to quote Lloyd Christmas. <laughs> Sorry, was, this is serious. This is serious. <laughs> when you were dead, <laughs> when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive. He brought you back to life spiritually, not with anything that you have done but because of everything that he did, he forgave us all of our sins, having canceling the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. How can Jesus die for my sins? Because he is God. That is the only way that he can die for my sins. And I've got a lot of sins. We've all have a lot of sins and, 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 and a lot of things have been being awoken by the Holy Spirit and by the culture and the world around us right now of my own depravity. I'm a sinner and I am in need of this Savior. And so I hope that when you're in the future just thumbing through and reading Psalm 96 or just reading through the Psalms, you get to Psalm 96, that you would look at that and you would go, Jesus loves me and died for my sins, all of them. And so I want to go proclaim that without bias or favoritism to everybody because I want them to know this God. So gospel application. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's just worship. We're going to do that. We're going to sing a couple songs. One of the songs that we were introduced, uh, introduced to last week. I want to sing these songs. Worship God who is worthy of honor and praise and glory. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. Proclaim to him, proclaim him to all people. This is a message that we've actually kind of ironically been sharing the last couple of weeks of like, this is, we need to share this gospel. We need to proclaim. We got to tell people about Jesus. Recognize that he is worthy of worship and that he is holy. 
Jesus is holy. God is holy. The Spirit is holy. Spirit. And he is evident in his creation. Oh, oh, that I would remember my creator. I wish that I had the obedience that waves have. That waves put me to shame. Would we all remember our creator like the wind and the waves? Jesus is the only way. He's the only one that can forgive us of our sins. All of them. He nailed them to the cross. And there will be a day, as Psalm 96 says, that God will come and he will judge the earth in a holy justice and righteousness. And it can't be what our hands have done. It can only be through what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, who am I, who are we that you have revealed yourself to us that in just these few verses in Psalm 96, oh, how beautiful you are, how worthy you are of our worship and our praise. And now this side of the cross, being able to look back and and interpret Psalm 96, knowing who Jesus is, God, you're good. And if the whole oceans were filled with ink and the whole sky a scroll and every stock a quill and every man a scribe, we would drain the oceans dry just to write about your love. God, would we worship you? Would we love you? Would we ascribe to you now in our singing and our time of communion? of taking of these elements to remind us of the shed blood and broken body of our Savior, would we ascribe to you the glory that you are worthy of, that you are due in your name. And it is in Jesus' most beautiful and precious, glorious name that we pray. Amen.